Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermon Podcast. Be sure to keep watching immediately after the sermon for Postscript, a weekly podcast with in-depth content and answers to your questions submitted during the sermon. You can also find it on iTunes or at faithbridge.org slash postscript. Before I introduce our uh, preacher for the day, I want to just say, um, well, I think we should just say thanks to all the dads who are here today. Uh, I won't even make you stand up or feel awkward, but why don't we just with our hands just say, thanks dads for being dads. Thanks for being here. Thanks for all that you do to be a big part of our lives. Where would we be if we didn't have fathers? And uh, so what a great day that we can um, just give thanks to God for fathers. Well, a new father in our midst is Adam McIntyre, uh, new as of several months ago. He's not new on our staff. He and Kathleen have been on our staff for about six years. He's our um, men's discipleship and grow group coordinator. He's also a gifted uh, preacher. And since this is his first Father's Day uh, with baby Juliet, I asked him, why don't you come and bring the message on Father's Day. Let's welcome Adam as he comes to preach to us. Thank you, Ken. Well, good morning and welcome and happy Father's Day. So thankful for all of the fathers here. And uh, I am excited and honored to be here on this Father's Day, especially since I just joined the club. Uh, my daughter, Juliet Marie McIntyre, was born on February 22nd of this year, and I love that baby so much. I, I just, I love being her dad. Uh, the other day, she laughed for the first time. Uh, like, not just a giggle, but like a full, like a guttural laugh, and I was so happy I started crying, uh, which has been happening a lot lately. But since I've been a father now for four whole months, I was invited here to speak and to share my wealth of knowledge and experience with all of you, so... <laughs> Here are all the things I've learned about parenting. Uh, number one is that sleep deprivation is real and it's the worst. It's just, it's awful. That's why every night now I read Proverbs 27:14 to Juliet, which says that a loud and cheerful greeting early in the morning will be taken as a curse. <laughs> Amen. The second thing I've learned is don't look up things on the internet. Just don't do it. 99% of the stories about parenting on the internet are horror stories. They are terrifying. Nobody writes about like the normal, uneventful moments of parenting. If you look up something, you're gonna get the drama. So I, uh, I looked up what to expect when your daughter gets their two-month shots, like moments before the pediatrician walked in to give Juliet her shots, and people online were like, don't do it. My child didn't stop crying for six days after she got her shots, and I'm panicking. Like, Kathleen, we gotta get out of here. Let's go, let's go. Fortunately, my wife is much more level-headed than I am, uh, and Juliet was a champ. Uh, but the third thing that I've learned is that I have no idea what I'm doing. None. And the crazy thing is that most seasoned parents that I say that to, they're like, yep, that sounds about right. Yeah. I have four kids, two of them are in college, and I still have no idea what I'm doing, so uh, good luck. And on one hand, that's comforting uh, because, you know, we're all in this together. Uh, but on the other hand, that's a little bit terrifying. Uh, before Juliet arrived, I had read so many books and online blogs, and I joined online communities, and I talked with 
family members and friends and mentors, just trying to glean as, as much wisdom as I possibly could to prepare to be a father. Uh, before Juliet arrived, I wanted to have a, a game plan for when she got here to make sure that she was the happiest, healthiest baby. And of course, Juliet shows up two weeks early and immediately all the books and the game plan just went straight out the window. And Kathleen and I are starting to learn, now being four months in, that uh, so much of parenting is improvising. It's saying, I, I don't know what's wrong with her. I, I don't know why she's crying. I, uh, try this. No, that's not working. Okay, we'll try this. Okay, we'll hold her like this. If you hold her like this, experts say she's going to keep crying. She's going to resent you forever. And then she's going to fail out of high school. You got to hold her like this. <laughs> And uh, even with all the stress and all the anxiety, I really do. I love um, being a father, and, uh, and I have so many hopes and dreams for Juliet already, uh, which is weird because I don't really know her yet. Like, she's just now starting to show glimpses of her personality, and, like, I have no idea what her likes and dislikes are going to be or what talent she's going to have or what dreams she's going to have for herself Uh, Not to mention all the obstacles she's going to face growing up and the people that she's going to meet who are going to impact her and who are going to shape her into who she eventually becomes. Um, And it's really difficult to plan and to prepare with so much unknown. Um, And I also have to resign myself to the fact that I won't ever have all the answers and I won't be able to protect Juliet from all of life's harsh realities. And there are going to be times, many times probably, where I'm going to fail as a parent. And so what I've started to do is instead of trying to prepare and to plan for all of life's unknowns, I've begun to pray Ephesians 3, 14 through 21 over Julia. And it's a passage that I want us to all read together. So if you have your Bible, Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. If you don't have one, you can go ahead and raise your hand and an usher will come down the aisle and bring you one. And if you don't own a Bible, please keep that Bible. Uh, We love you and that is our gift to you. So Ephesians 3, it's in the New Testament, past all the Gospels, past the book of Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Uh, If you hit Philippians, if you hit Colossians, you've gone too far. Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. Here we go. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God." Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So I pray this prayer, and I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, Christ dwells in Juliet's heart through faith, and that she is rooted and grounded in the love of Christ, a love that surpasses all knowledge, so that no matter what, obstacles or difficulties or challenges or evils or tragedies that Juliet faces, she will be filled with the fullness of God who is able to do far more abundantly than you or I could possibly imagine. That is my prayer for my daughter, but not only for her. That is my prayer for all of us 
here today, for you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, and for me, that all of us have a faith that is rooted and grounded in the love of Jesus, a love that surpasses all knowledge. You see, when Paul wrote this prayer to the church in Ephesus, he understood that faith, a lot like parenting, can really only be learned by doing. Faith must be practiced. It can't all stay up here. Yes, there's definitely an element of of teaching and learning to faith, but true faith grows when we experience those uh, tangible in the flesh actions that gets God out of our heads and into our hands. Those moments uh, in which we go outside of our comfort zone in an act of trust and obedience in order to love and to serve and to forgive people who we might otherwise avoid. And those moments are difficult. Uh, they're, They're not easy at all. And our faith is often going to lead us into unknown territory. And we're going, to fa- we're going to face so many different challenges as we practice our faith in a world that is still covered in darkness and in sin. And so if we're going to practice our faith, and if our faith is going to survive, we need to be sure that it is rooted in the love of Christ that surpasses all understanding. And that's what I want us to talk about today. Making sure that the foundation of our faith is Jesus Christ. And that sounds super obvious, like of course, of course, our faith should be rooted in Jesus. But the reality is that there are people who call themselves Christians who don't know Jesus. They don't know his love. The cross and his resurrection, they are not realities in their lives. I know this because I've talked with those people. I know those people, people who grew up in Christian households or who once called themselves Christians, but they have since renounced their faith. And it's sad and it's a little bit scary to hear stories from people that I know and love who have renounced their faith. But I've also found that oftentimes a faith that you can walk away from is one that you should walk away from. I'll give you an example of what I mean. Uh, A few months ago, a very close family member of mine, for the purposes of this story, we'll call him John. Uh, John sends me a text and he says, hey, I have some big news, can I give you a call? Sure thing, so he gives me a call and we talk for a little bit and eventually he says, well listen man, I don't know how to tell you this so I'm just gonna come right out with it. Uh, I am not a Christian anymore. Uh, I don't believe in God, I, uh, I don't go to church anymore and I, I've renounced my faith. And I sat there with that news for a little bit, I wasn't really sure how to respond, it was definitely out of left field, I, I didn't see it coming. And so eventually I asked, well, so how did you arrive at this decision? And he started going through all of the reasons that I'd heard so many times before from other people I know who've walked away from their faith. He said, well, you know, I was taught growing up that God created the earth in six days and that the earth is only a few thousand years old, but now I believe that the universe is billions and billions of years old. And I was taught that, you know, God created Adam and Eve and that's how we got here, but now I believe that we got here through evolution. He's like, and I was taught that God flooded the whole world, but now I just believe that that's ridiculous. And, and if God was doing so many miracles back then, why did he stop now? Especially when we have videos, cameras on our cell phones, and we could easily record those miracles and throw them up on YouTube, and then there'd be irrefutable evidence that God exists. And so he ranted for a little while. And uh, then he eventually paused, and he waited for my response. And, and I said, listen, Uh, you bring up great points, and your questions are valid. You're not wrong for having these questions. I said, but listen, not once in all of that did you ever mention Jesus. 
And that's when the conversation got a little more real. He said, honestly, man, being a Christian was just so exhausting. He said he had this constant fear of hell. While at the same time, he couldn't reconcile how a supposedly all-loving God could send people to hell, and he was sick and tired of people using logic and theology to try to explain it away. And he also struggled with shame and guilt. He said, I never prayed enough. I never read my Bible enough. I never went to church enough. And honestly, I don't want to. I don't want to do any of those things. He was uh, weighed down by this burden of expectation for living and acting a certain way. And then he would also put that burden of expectations on others, uh, which would make him feel a little bit better about himself when they failed. Uh, But it also led him to become a cynical and intolerant person. John said his faith was a prison. And now that he has renounced it, he finally feels free. Uh, And so I had some mixed emotions hearing this. Um, Because on one hand, I was happy for him, which is weird. um, Because the faith that he renounced was unhealthy and, and, and burdensome. And I really am, I'm glad he rid himself of it. And I told him as much. I said, John, listen, the faith that you had sounded miserable, and I'm glad you're free from it. I said, but also, listen, um, the Jesus that I know is nothing like what you described. I'm not sure if you were ever actually following Jesus. And he gave kind of a little chuckle, and he goes, yeah, you know what, you're probably right. And the last thing I said before we got off the phone, I said, John, listen, whether you believe this or not, I think you're closer to Jesus now than you've ever been before. Don't stop searching because the Jesus that I know offers life and peace and freedom. See, John, he he spent his life chasing after Jesus' shadow. His faith, it was a a product of indoctrination. Um, And the foundation of his faith was lacking Jesus. And so really it's no surprise that his faith collapsed around him. And and John is not alone. According to a 2014 study by the Barna Group, 48% of Americans qualify as post-Christian now. 48%. uh, It says these are people who grew up in Christian households or they have claimed to be Christian in the past. Uh, And they may even still mark it like on government forms and things like that, but they now actively reject it. Andy Stanley says this group has been there They've done that, and they have a closet full of camp t-shirts to show for it. These people, they grew up in the church, and they abandoned their faith. And according to the article, it's because they find the version of Christianity that they've grown up with to be unconvincing, uninspiring, and irrelevant. Three of the last words I would ever use to describe what it's like to follow Jesus. And statistically speaking... That means there are many people in this room who fall into that category, or you will in the future. And I don't mean this as a a scare tactic. Please don't uh, misunderstand me. I'm not trying to question anyone's salvation here. If anything, I, I think God's grace is more radically abundant than we could possibly imagine. But what I'm saying here is that I'm afraid that there are people here who, if you would be honest with yourself, you would admit that your faith is a burden, that your faith causes you to judge and exclude people, that your faith causes you to live in shame and guilt, that you feel held captive by your faith. And Paul addresses this very problem in Colossians 2. So if you have a Bible, flip over to Colossians 2. It's just about 10 pages 
going to the right in your Bible from where we were in Ephesians. Colossians 2, verses 6 through 19. We'll skip verses 9 through 12 as we're reading. Colossians 2, starting in verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of this world, and not according to Christ. Skip down to verse 13. And you, you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with all of its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism, uh, which is like worldly pleasure. Uh, and worship of angels going on in detail about visions and puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and holding and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. So here we see Paul and he's warning these young Christians in Colossae about the dangers of placing their faith in anything other than Jesus himself. There were a bunch of people around there trying to say, yeah, yeah, no, Jesus should definitely be a part of your faith, but you also need all these other things. You also need all these other religious rules and regulations, right? Follow Jesus plus eat only these foods and drink only these drinks. Follow Jesus plus obey all these religious rituals. Follow Jesus plus deny yourself all worldly pleasures. Follow Jesus plus worship these other idols and angels. And this is dangerous, Because the moment that our faith becomes a to-do list or a not-to-do list, then suddenly the spotlight starts fading away from Jesus. And Jesus quickly fades away from our faith. He becomes an afterthought. And the moment that your faith is centered on anything besides Jesus, you are in trouble. Your faith is unstable. Paul says that you are chasing the shadow of Jesus at that point. Uh, Before I was a Christian, I was a theater major at U of H, and part of the requirement for being a theater major is that you had to take a class in props making. And so towards the end of the semester of my props class, our final exam was a group project in which we had to build a, uh, a prop or a set piece that would be used in the next upcoming major production. And so my group was myself, another guy named Adam, and a girl named Joanna, we called her Jo, and we were given the task of building the centerpiece of the stage, which was a 10-foot-tall chimney. I think we have a picture of, yeah, so there's uh, 18-year-old Adam. That's how I looked for every picture when I was 18. Uh, And you can kind of see the framing for the uh, chimney in the background there, so you can have a mental image of what it looked like. Uh, And so our teacher, he gave us blueprints for how to build this thing that had instructions and measurements and had a picture in the back of what the final product was supposed to look like. And so our first day of building, uh, everything is going great. We're rocking and rolling. We're following the blueprints exactly. We're right on time. Everything's great. And then at the very beginning of the second day, literally moments after we took that picture, 
Joe shot other Adam in the arm with a nail gun. <laughs> and literally, the last thing that Adam said to Joe before she pulled the trigger was, just don't shoot me. And then she immediately shot him. It was incredible. It felt like the whole thing was scripted. Uh, <laughs> and so we all sat there in stunned silence uh, as Adam was looking at this nail that it was in there. It was like really in there. <laughs> and eventually he breaks the silence and she goes, I've been shot. I think I'll go to the hospital now. And he just leaves. Uh, and then we end up losing that whole day because Adam's gone and then Joe was traumatized dealing with the fact that she just shot someone. Uh, and so the next time that we got together, we had to circle up and we had to assess how far behind we were and how much time uh, we had left. And we made the decision that, you know what? The structure and the base and everything, it's good enough. We need to start focusing on the outside of this chimney, on making it look beautiful. And so that's what we did. Uh, we started applying all of the plaster and the stucco and all the paint uh, and try to make it look like the picture. And uh, by the time it was done, man, that chimney was beautiful. It was the best chimney that you've ever seen in your life. And we finished right at the dead deadline, just in time for the preview. A preview is like a final dress rehearsal, a full dress rehearsal, where there's like a, a select few audience members who can give any last minute feedback before the play opens. And so for the preview, myself, other Adam and Joe, we are working backstage doing props, making sure props get to the actors when they need them and resetting the stage in between scenes, things like that. And the beginning of the play is going great until Joe grabs other Adam and I and she points to the chimney and she says, look, does the chimney look like it's leaning to you? And I look and sure enough, the chimney is leaning forward like way more than it should be. And it felt like right as I noticed I was leaning forward, the whole thing in slow motion begins to topple with two actors right underneath the chimney. And it was one of those moments where I wanted to yell, you know, move, get out of the way. But all I could yell was, Ugh! like I was, uh, I freeze under pressure is what I've learned about myself. Um, fortunately, one of the actors underneath, I guess he could see the shadow being cast over him. Uh, and he pushed the other actor out of the way and was able to jump out of the way himself before the whole thing just uh, tumbled to the ground. Um, and this is a testament to the U of H theater department. After the chimney collapsed to the ground, the actor just looked at it and goes, hmm, we should probably get that looked at. And then she continued on with the scene like nothing happened. It was amazing. <laughs> And if, uh, you know, Adam, Joe, and I were backstage and we're horrified uh, because this 10-foot monstrosity almost just killed two people. And of course, it was because uh, we built the base and the structure improperly. We uh, had spent most of our time focusing on the outside of the chimney and the weight of all the plaster and stucco and paint was too much for the structure to handle and so it collapsed. See, our main goal was not to build a chimney that was structurally sound. Our, our main goal was to build a chimney that looked like the picture so that we could impress our teacher, so that we could get a good grade. We ignored the foundation and we concentrated on what we thought this thing was supposed to look like and the whole thing came crashing down. And for many of us, this is what we do with our faith. We ignore Jesus, who is our foundation, in favor of building our faith based on what other people say our faith should look like, based on what other people say that we should believe in. And on top of that, because we're not rooted in the love of Jesus, then we become so quick to judge and disqualify based on things that have absolutely nothing to do with Jesus. And we've created this Christianity in which there's no room for nuance. There's no gray areas. You either believe that all of the Bible is 100% literally true or you believe in none of it. You either believe in all the miracles of scripture or you believe in none of them. 
You either believe in scripture or you believe in science, right? What are your views on uh, predestination? What are your views on evolution? What are your views on the rapture? And what do all of these either or statements and questions have in common? None of them are about Jesus. None of them. Believing the Bible doesn't make you a Christian. Believing in miracles doesn't make you a Christian. Having the correct doctrine does not make you a Christian. Submitting your life to Jesus Christ, that is what makes you a Christian. And if the foundation of your faith is built on anything other than Jesus, regardless of how true it may or may not be, then your foundation is unstable. You are chasing after Jesus' shadow. And again, I don't want you to see this as a scare tactic. This is a call to freedom. This is a call to make sure that the foundation of our faith is Jesus Christ, his cross, and his resurrection, period, full stop. That's it. That's the foundation. Christ, the cross, and his resurrection. So how do we do that? How do we ensure that our faith is built on Christ alone? Well, Paul has a couple of ideas. I think the first thing is that we need to constantly remind ourselves of the gospel as often as we possibly can. We cannot remind ourselves enough times of who Jesus is and what he accomplished on the cross in his resurrection because the same uh, philosophy and deceit and human tradition and elemental spirits that were plaguing the church in Colossae, they are still just as rampant today. And we avoid these pitfalls dressed as religion by reminding ourselves of the gospel as often as we can. Paul does this in verses 13 13 through 15 of the passage we just read. We're going to read it again, 13 through 15. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with all of its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Listen, he is not telling them anything new here. He is reminding them of the true foundation of their faith. That Jesus, God in the flesh, entered our world and he introduced his kingdom, an eternal kingdom, a kingdom that flips the world upside down, a kingdom in which the last shall be first and the hungry shall be fed and the slaves shall be set free and those who mourn shall be comforted. And when Jesus introduced this kingdom to our world, um, it was such a threat to the current world order that the rulers and authorities, aka agents of Satan or agents of evil, they murdered him. They nailed him to a cross, a sinner's death for an innocent lamb. See, this cross, it was meant to be a symbol of victory for the rulers and authorities. The cross was meant to be a source of shame for Jesus and his followers, but Jesus was not done flipping the world upside down. And three days after his crucifixion, God raised him from the grave in victory, and he stole the victory from the rulers and authorities, and he put them to open shame. His death on the cross disarmed them. And the victory of our king transfers to his people. We were dead in our sins, but those sins have been forgiven. 
Our sins have been nailed with Jesus on the cross. We are no longer guilty. Our record of debt has been canceled. And not only that, we get to share in the victory of his resurrection. Death has lost its sting. Death is no longer victorious. We are promised the same exact resurrection as our King Jesus. That is the gospel. That is the good news. It offers freedom, not shackles. It offers forgiveness, not guilt. Jesus takes our burdens out of his overwhelming love for us, a love that surpasses all understanding. And if that's all you know, if all you know is the love of Christ and what he accomplished on the cross and in his resurrection, then your foundation is secure. Everything else can be a mystery to you. You can have questions, you can have doubts, but those mysteries and those questions and those doubts will not rock your faith because your foundation is secure. You know Jesus, you know his love. So in addition to reminding ourselves of the gospel as often as we possibly can, the second thing we need to do is that we need to be in community. Listen to what Paul says in verse 19 of Colossians 2. He says, And not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. So in other words, when the whole body, a.k.a. the body of Christ, a.k.a. the church, you and I, When we do hold fast to the head, that is Jesus, that is when we are nourished and knit together and we grow with a growth that is from God. In other words, we must be in community if you're going to grow with a growth that is from God. You have to be a part of the body. You cannot practice your faith alone. Our faith was never meant to be practiced alone. If you only practice your faith in in your house or in this sanctuary, I can almost guarantee that your foundation is brittle. You cannot be the body of Christ on your own. You cannot be his hands and feet on your own. You cannot be his loving kindness on your own. You cannot be obedient on your own. It is in community that we are rooted in Christ. It's our community that helps to make sure that our foundation is secure. It's our community that encourages us, encourages us and challenges us to grow. And most importantly, it's in community where the love of God becomes a tangible reality. First John 4.12 says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. So when we love one another in community, God's love is made manifest. There is evidence of it. It's not just something that we, uh, it's not just emotion or or something that we feel, but uh, it's something that we can experience. It's energizing, it's infectious, it's life-changing. And I've seen it here. I've seen it in this church. I've experienced this love from you. And I'm so thankful for that, especially now that I'm a father. Um, because I know that Juliet also receives that love from you, um, which is such a comforting reality, um, because I know that there are going to be plenty of times um, where no matter how hard I try, I will fail to show Juliet the love of God. But you know what? Even when that happens... Even when I fail to show my daughter the love of God, there are dozens of people in my community who are also showing Juliet the love of God. And that's such a relief. Knowing that this community also loves my daughter and also wants to show her the love of God 
it gives me breathing room. It gives me the grace to fail. It's not all on me and Kathleen. Our community is also constantly working to build the foundation of Juliet's faith to point her to Jesus over and over and over again. The body of Christ picks up the slack. We share in one another's burdens. We share in one another's joys. It's in community where the love of God is put on display for the world to see. And I know that there are people here listening who don't know that love. That love sounds real nice in theory, but you've never actually experienced it for yourself. So I want to challenge you to just consider joining our community, join our family. Check out a grow group or join a serve team. We want you to be a part of our family. We're not perfect by any means. We all have our hangups, trust me. But I promise you that we love you, that you are so welcome here, and that we want to show you the love of Christ. And for those of you who do, who do know that love, the church, Faith Bridge, listen, me up here on stage saying we love you does not make that love real. You do. You putting your faith into practice, you make that love real. So let's reach out to our neighbors who don't know Jesus and let's invite them into our community, into our family. Let's show them that we're so much more than just a Bible study. No, we are a true community. We're brothers and sisters. We share in one another's victories and one another's joys. We also share one another's burdens. And we love each other with a love that is from Christ. We are deeply invested in one another's faith and one another's well-being. That's what it means to be the church. That's what it looks like when our faith is rooted in the love of Jesus. We can't help but to love others in such a way that God's love is brought to full expression in us. And you never know when that love might spark the foundation of another person's faith. Let's pray. Father, I'm reminded um, that without the power of your Holy Spirit, none of this is possible. Um, Father, our faith is a gift from you. Um, and it is your spirit that gives us eyes to see and ears to hear. And it is your spirit that gives us the power to love others with your love. And so Father, right now I pray that your Holy Spirit um, just comes upon us, all of us. Um, Father, if there's anyone here listening um, who does not know your love, uh, Father, I pray that your spirit is doing a mighty work in their hearts, awakening their eyes, to who you are and to how much you love them. And Father, for all of us here who do know that love, I pray that your spirit is working powerfully in us um, to compel us, to motivate us, to go out and to show other people that love so that you can work through us to show others um, who you are, to show others um, your love for them so we can build your kingdom, so we can create more and stronger disciples of you. Um, Father, we love you and we're so thankful. In your name we pray. Amen. Welcome to Postscript. Here we hope to answer your questions and help you dig deeper into the messages and sermons at FaithBridge by talking with the teacher of the day.
Hi, and welcome to Postscript. I'm Luann Riley, Grow Group and Discipleship Director, and I'm here with Adam McIntyre, Young Adults Pastor, who just brought our Father's Day message. Welcome, Adam, Thank and you. happy first Father's Day to you. Thank you. Yes, yeah. and uh, you shared a great message uh, today about chasing Jesus. And yes. uh, we did have some questions come in. Great. Uh, so I'm just going to jump into them. Please. Um, so the first one is a very important question. Okay. Okay. Uh, we want to know what grade did you get on the chimney? That is a great question. And it's one that unfortunately I don't really remember. <laughs> I do know that um, they he gave us our grade before the oh. chimney collapsed. So I'm pretty sure so it was it's a, probably better. It's probably a good grade, but yeah, I don't, I don't remember. <laughs> That's awesome. Let's go with A. That's a great an analogy of the foundation and yeah, and building. You. Great illustration there. Um, okay, so another question that came in uh, is talking about uh, our faith being built on Jesus, and right. they ask if our faith is built only on Jesus, then why does the church place other mandates on us before we can become members? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so first, I'd say that you being the member of a church mm -hmm. doesn't make you a Christian. Mm -hmm. Again, submitting your life to Jesus, that is what makes you a Christian. And I think we also need to different, differentiate here between um, the capital C church, mm -hmm. the universal like church, the big... right? The part the church that we are all a part of, and mm -hmm. then the, the small C church, the local community mm -hmm. like Faithbridge. Um, the moment that you submit yourself to Jesus and you mm -hmm. surrender your life to him, you are a part now of the capital C church. And, and that's what we, expect you to participate in it, be a it's part of it. a larger body. Yeah. Right. Um, however, the, the, the small C church, like Faithbridge, um, we have different things that uh, we require, and, and every church does, uh, and every church is going to have different requirements, but for Faithbridge, we have things that we want to make sure that you're a part of to ensure that your faith is growing mm -hmm. um, and to make sure that uh, we're held accountable, that you don't let astray. All the things I talked about in my sermon about why community is crucial, um, that we encourage each other to grow and to be knit together um, uh, in the love of Christ. And so things like we ask you to join a serve team and a grow group. Well, that's because we know that if you're not in community, mm -hmm. your faith isn't going to grow. It's just not going to go anywhere. And also, we've been commanded by Jesus to go out and to serve others. And that's another way our faith grows, by mm -hmm. serving and loving the least of these. Because when we do that, we're serving and loving Jesus. And then baptism is another one because uh, baptism is a public proclamation of your faith. And so we want to make sure that before uh, you, we call you a member of Faithbridge, before you call yourself a member of Faithbridge, that you have announced to the world, first of all, I am a follower of Jesus. Mm -hmm. um, and that I have been buried with him in his death and raised to walk in newness of life. And so, and, and those are the requirements that we have. And that's it. And again, every church has different requirements. But the bottom line, if you submit yourself to Jesus, that's what makes you a Christian, not being a member of a church. Good. That's a great answer. Um, okay. So another question that came in um, was around the rules of Christianity. So how does the love of Jesus affect those who continue to live in promiscuity, gay relationships, profanity, unrelenting anger or bitterness? Do we simply say, it's not my place to judge, so as long as we agree on the death and resurrection of Jesus? Another great question. Um, so first, let me say, again, the foundation of our faith is Christ crucified and his resurrection, period. The, the rules of Christianity, whatever you want to call it, uh, those are things that are built on top of the foundation of our faith. Um, and, uh, and then I'll also say that uh, for Christians, us, we are told explicitly by Jesus never to judge anyone. Um, and that when we judge others, we are uh, condemning mm -hmm. ourselves. It's the role of the Holy Spirit 
to convict others of their sin and then to um, do a work of transformation in their lives, to lead them to repentance. That's not our role. It's not our role to call out other people uh, on their sins. Now, um, there are situations when you are in close community where we are called to hold each other accountable, to make sure that we don't, uh, like Paul talking to the Colossians, not make sure we're not falling prey to like philosophy and empty deceit and human traditions, elemental spirits, those types of things. But that's where this question is a little bit tricky because I'm not sure of the context of this question. Um, like how well do we know this person who is um, acting out of anger or is living in bitterness or in pro promiscuity, whatever it is, um, is there a trusting relationship there? Do you know and love one another well enough that you can speak honestly to that person and then they can speak honestly back to you? Um, otherwise, what you're doing is you are just uh, causing them to feel guilt and shame um, and, and then you're risking judging mm -hmm. uh, that person. Uh, and again, um, before we do any of those things, uh, a lot of times before we look at the speck in our neighbor's eye, we need to look at the log in our own. And so. This is a tough question because it's so much of it is about context and how well you know that person. Um, and if you're in community together, um, and, and then I'll say this too, um, when you are pursuing Jesus, when you have submitted your life to Christ, a lot of these things, um, if you truly are following him, they do fade away. Um, and uh, things like anger and bitterness, if you're following Christ, those things are gonna be melted away by his love. Um, and so it's not necessarily our job to call out people on their problems um, and force them to fix it. A lot of times um, we just need to pray and, and, and hope that the Holy Spirit is doing a work of transformation. I think, in that's, them. I think that's good. I, um, you know, I grew up uh, not understanding the relationship part right. of Jesus. I knew all the rules. I knew the rules and right. I knew I was supposed to follow them and I knew how hard it was to follow them. It wasn't until... Um, I was a young adult and I had a relationship with Jesus and I began to love him that yeah. I began seeing, oh, this is a different process. This is right. inside out. Exactly. And it's taken years for the Lord to remove some of these things and I have a long way to go. But I, I think what you said today is important that foundational yes. has to be the love relationship with Jesus Absolutely. Uh, before, some, before he, the Holy Spirit can begin to work Exactly. Some of these things. Exactly. And a lot of times if they have that foundation, mm -hmm. again, they're going to grow uh, in their faith and their relationship with him. And a lot of these things, again, they begin to fade away. They can't help but fade away uh, in the light of his love. It just is something that kind of naturally happens a lot of times. Well, that's a great message. Yeah. And I hope you get to go home and relax yes. and enjoy the rest of your Father's Day today with that sweet girl. Yes, uh, thank, thank you for the message. And thank you for joining us here for Postscript. We'll see you back here next week. Thanks for joining us for Postscript. Help us keep the podcast interactive by submitting your questions during the morning services. Learn more at faithbridge.org slash postscript.